Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. So we're reading Matthew 5, 1-5. I mean 1-12. Um, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when the people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they prosecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. We welcome Mark, who's going to bring our sermon to us. Thank you, Edith. Thanks, Eve. Um, Okay, good evening. It's really great to see you. Um, My name is Mark Powley. Uh, I'm a member of this... Thank you. (laughs) It's a great name. I love that name. Um, I'm a member of this church. I used to work here, uh, and now uh, I work with the Archbishop of York to help revitalize and plant churches across the north of England. Um, I'd like to apologize uh, to my kids for every embarrassing thing that I say, including the fact that I just mentioned them. Um, Okay, so we've been thinking about mountains at the 1830 service. Mountains. I love mountains. I'm a genuine mountain fan. This is me, uh, this photo is me up a, a mountain peak, or on my way up there, very intrepid. I, uh, that's the most uh, action photo I can find. But I have to say, I'm only, I'm only half a mountain fan. I'm only half a mountain fan. I love the views, not so keen on the heights. Okay, so that's, that's the half. So if we go to the next slide, this is, this is something called the cannon which just goes like that. And um, that person um, striding confidently on the rock, that's not me, okay? That's that's Zach, okay? This next shot, that's me. (laughs) That's how I did it. And um, that's how I feel about heights. Now, I think a lot of us realized it in lockdown, you know, or just after lockdown, that actually going out to the hills or to the mountains, it's incredible. It's so important. I think mountains, um, they awaken us spiritually. I think they speak to our soul. There's a quote from a mountaineer called Michael Kennedy. He said, I learn something every time I go into the mountains. I learn something every time I go into the mountains. We've got that on the slide as well, I think, as well. And so that's what we're doing. We're we're on um, a kind of... Not a three-peak challenge, but a five-peak challenge. We're looking at five mountains. And every time in the Bible you get an important spiritual scene at a mountain, we learn something new. So each time we, uh, we looked at it, Abraham learned that God provides. 
And Moses learned that God is holy. And now we're going up this next mountain. If we have the, uh, you can see the five mountains on our map here. So we've had uh, Mount uh, Moriah, that's Abraham, Mount Sinai, that's Moses. And now we have the Mount of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, which I'll explain in a minute. And as we go up that mountain, we get to meet with God through the scriptures and we are changed by what we see. So let's do that. Uh, We had read to us, thank you again, Edith, Matthew chapter 5. And this is Jesus teaching on a mountain. It says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. And he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus is there on this mountain. The disciples are gathered around, and they're kind of looking at him as he begins to teach. And as we read Matthew's gospel or hear these words, we can imagine ourselves sat on this mountainside and there is Jesus. And this is his first great talk in uh, the gospel of Matthew. And what we learn about God is that God is coming. God is coming. And that's what these eight, uh, especially these eight, these beatitudes, the word beatitudes just means beautiful words or blessings. These are eight blessings, but they reflect one simple fact. Eight blessings. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. For theirs, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of God. Eight blessings, but those eight blessings really reflect one simple fact. God is coming. God is coming. That's how you know that the poor will be blessed. That's how you know that those who mourn will be comforted because God is going to do it. That's how you know that the meek will be lifted up and given the earth because God can give it. That's how you know that the merciful will be shown mercy because God is going to show them mercy. And the peacemakers will be called God's children. You see, God, the God that Jesus believed in, wasn't a distant God, a faraway God, God a million miles away who's given up caring and not worth caring about. The God that Jesus knew as Father is a God who is coming, He is on the move. And that's why He sits on this mountainside and He says, God is coming. And that is good news for the poor. That's what we see on the mountain, that God is coming. And what I want to do is just look with you at three things about that. Firstly, what does it mean? Secondly, how do we know? And thirdly, what do we do now? So, what does it mean? What does it mean to say that God is coming? Well, I've got another... um, cool mountain quote for you. Uh, Here we go. 
You get a lot of these uh, on, the, on the internet, so I thought I'd throw in a couple. Climb the mountain early, see the dawn first. Do you like it? Climb the mountain early, see the dawn first. Um, I was looking for a quote to this effect. I couldn't find one, so I just wrote it. This is my quote about the mountains. You can, you can spread it if you wish. Um, but, you know, it's right, isn't it? If you, if you get up that mountain, the people who get up that mountain, then you can see the horizon. And then when the dawn comes, you actually see it before people in the valley because they're still living in the shadows. Now, that is what is going on in this passage. Jesus is up the mountain, and from that position, he can see the horizon. And he's effectively saying to his disciples, guys, I see it, and it's amazing. What I see is the poor being blessed. What I see is the merciful receiving mercy. I can see the light of God breaking in on the world. And it's incredible. And if you like, we are gathered around looking at Jesus, even when we read this passage, and we see the light of the kingdom shining in his face. And sometimes when you go up a mountain, if you know uh, Otley Shevin, which is uh, fantastic just up from here, fantastic place to go and walk. Sometimes when you go up a mountain, you've ever been up and you have a little a guide plaque that shows you what you can see. And you say, look, if you look over that way, so if you go up Otley Shevin, so if you go look up that way, there's Ilkley is that way, and then there's Otley, and then Leeds is down that way, you've got a little guide map. And Jesus is up there saying, from where I sit, I can see it. I can see the kingdom coming. And I'm telling you what it's going to look like. The poor will be blessed. The peacemakers will be called children of God. That's what I see And I want you to know it. I want you to know that God is coming. And Jesus' name for the coming of God is his kingdom. It's like the vision of God. God has a vision for the world and he's bringing it to pass and it's called his kingdom where he rules. So what we learn up the mountain is that God is coming. Does that make sense? God is coming. And I think this is so important for so many reasons, but especially, you know, because I think a lot of us feel quite fearful about the future. I think we feel fearful. There's a lot of heavy fearfulness about the future. So we could think about the cost of living crisis. We could think about the war in the Ukraine and now in the Middle East. We could think about climate change. We could think about the risks of AI. You could think about the eventual heat death of the universe. You might think, Mark, I wasn't worried about anything. Now I've come to church. (laughs) Now I'm feeling quite anxious. (laughs) And what happens is when we're anxious about the future, it can make us feel paralyzed and stuck. Or we get angry and we rage about it. Or maybe we become all kind of proud and judgmental and all moralistic about what we're doing about it. But Jesus tells us something so important. God is coming and therefore, ultimately, finally, the future is good. And that is massive. The future is is good. You may be weighed down with so many worries about your future or about the future of the world, but Jesus says, do you know what? From where I can see it, it's good. 
I'll tell you why. The future is good because the future is God. The future belongs to God. In the future, all that God has comes to the world. God is a God of peace. And in the future, God's peace comes to the world. God is a God of love. And in the future, God's love and mercy comes to the world. Everything that God has, everything that God is, comes to the world. And Jesus says, I see it, and it's good. And you can live for it. You can live your whole life for it, in the light of it. And this doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It's a rocky road to get there. Jesus says, you know, sometimes you're going to be, you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes you're going to be persecuted. This is not straightforward. Later on in the Gospels, he says, you know, there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. And he says that and he still believes the kingdom's coming. He says, you know what, I'd rather you saw those things like the pains of labor, like the world is giving birth to a new world, and it is a rocky road to get there, but the future is good because it belongs to God. Who else could it possibly belong to? It's incredible, this confidence that Jesus has. All roads that lead to the future end in God setting the world Right. Let me illustrate just in, in one other way the difference that makes. Here's, here's an, another bit from the scriptures. It's an amazing bit from Romans. This is Paul, writes, Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Now, do you remember being a kid and being very excited about something in the future, and you say to whoever's looking after you at home, you say, how many sleeps is it? You ever do that? How many sleeps is it? Oh, it's five sleeps till your birthday. Five sleeps, and then you go to bed, you wake up. How many sleeps is it? It's four sleeps, four sleeps. Because you can measure time in sleeps. Right? And of course, as you get older, like me, and you have like naps in the day, like, like tomorrow's like four sleeps away. But we're not going to trouble ourselves with that. Um, and you may be thinking, how many sleeps till Christmas? Does anyone know how many sleeps till Christmas? 64. It's 64 sleeps till Christmas. And tomorrow, it's 63 sleeps till Christmas. Okay. Um, you go home and you think, do you know what? I've forgotten what I learned at church. But do you know what? It's 64 sleeps till Christmas. Well, this is really important. That's what Paul is saying. Our salvation now is nearer than when we first believed. Every little dawn brings the great dawn closer. There's always one less sleep to the kingdom of God. We're going to wake up tomorrow and know that the kingdom of God is closer. And the Bible is full of this hope, this energy of, guys, it is coming. And we can live for it. And you can wake up and say, God, thank you that the kingdom is coming. That there's good news for the poor, that there's justice and peace. This is a hope so firm, it has been able to sustain people through every ebb and flow of history. And when the tide of world events rises or falls... This is a positive thought, so helpful that it almost certainly contributes to the mental health of those who pray. 
This is a truth so transformative that it has inspired movements for justice over the centuries and right now inspires Christians around the world who fight against tyranny, injustice, and climate change. God's kingdom is coming and therefore we act with hope. We don't have to live, and I just want you to know this evening, you don't have to live under a burden of despair about the future. I believe God wants to lift that sense of heaviness about the future and remind us that even if the road is rocky, that the future is good because the future is God's. And I wonder if you need to hear that this evening. Now, how do we know? Okay, it sounds great. It sounds great, Mark. It sounds really interesting. How do we know? that that is the future? How do we know that God is coming? That's a big claim to make. Well, Jesus doesn't just see the kingdom, he does it. He does it. We know this because this is at the start of his ministry, of his life, of uh, his kind of living work of, of deeds and actions. And Jesus goes on to perform signs of the kingdom so you can see that it is coming. And so Jesus himself welcomes people and gives them blessing. And Jesus himself is good news to the poor. And he shows us what purity of heart looks like in a real human life. If you want to see these words in action, then read a gospel. And you will see God coming. You'll see what it looks like. And you'll see what it's like to join in. But Jesus doesn't just live for the kingdom. Jesus dies for the kingdom. Because he allows himself in Jerusalem to be taken captive. He has said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He becomes poor in spirit. He had said, blessed are those who mourn. He mourns and cries out to God. He had said, blessed are you if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Well, he is persecuted and he's killed. And so we'll see, well, is it really true? Is he really blessed? Or is he just left abandoned, mournful, poor and desolate? Is that how it ends? But that is not how it ends. Because two days after they lay his body in a tomb, the power of God, like never before in human history, breathes life and energy into his dead body and raises him physically from the dead. And so you see the kingdom coming in the body of Jesus Christ. That's how we know. That's how we know that the kingdom of God is coming. Because Jesus taught it and he did it and he lived it. The writer uh, and New Testament historian Tom Wright wrote a book about this, and the book concludes uh, like this. The early Christians, he says, did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. We are left with the secure historical conclusion the tomb was empty and various meetings did take place. I regard this conclusion as coming into the same sort of category of historical probability so high as to be virtually certain as the death of Augustus in AD 14. It's as certain as that 
as what we know, for instance, about Roman emperors. But don't take my word for it. Look into it yourself if you haven't come to your own conclusion. You can do that on something like the Alpha Course, for instance. That is how we know that the kingdom is coming. Well, one last thing. What do we do now? God is coming, and that means the future is good. And we know it because we saw it in Jesus. So what do we do now? Well, uh, one last illustration then. Um, who here has actually, we talk about mountains, it's the third mountain to down. Who's actually climbed a mountain? Okay, anybody? Who's climbed a mountain? Or big hill? We'll allow big hills. Okay. Helpful. When you get to the top of a mountain, okay, everybody's got their phone, or everybody, a lot of people have their phone with them. And there's two kinds of people on top of a mountain. Um, one lot are doing this, the selfie, okay? I've, I've climbed a mountain, now let's talk about me, okay? Let's talk about me, let's have a shot of me, they're taking the selfie shot, um, like that selfish guy there in the shot. Um, but not everybody's doing that, or once they've done that, they then flip it and do the panorama. What a view. And yet other people at the top of a mountain, they're not taking the selfies or they've finished, and they're just going, look at the view. That's just incredible. Just I was, I was just coming down here yesterday and just saw somebody on, the, on Headingley Road and the uh, Headingley Lane and the clouds are out, and she was just standing there with her phone, just like, look at that. That is amazing. Two kinds of ways of living in the world, the selfie or the, pan, uh, the panorama. Okay, so do we have any selfie people here? Who takes a selfie when they're up the mountain? <laughs> panorama people? Anybody take a panorama? Oh, a lot up at the back. Hello, panorama people. Of course. That's where I would sit if I was a panorama person as well. Because when it comes to life in general, we tend to be selfie people. We have like this default setting, this factory setting that just makes us think about ourselves. But we can flip it. That's what Jesus is saying. We can flip it. We can say, you know, I'm not going to think, I want this job, I want this house, I want these relationships, I want these experiences. This is my view of the world. This is my view of justice. These are my politics. This is what I think is important. We don't have to live like that. We can flip it to panorama. I say, God, what are you doing? What is your kingdom? How can I live for your future? That's the big difference, to say, God, I let it go. I let it all go, and I say, I want to live for your kingdom first. And yes, um, if I live for your kingdom, I'm going to live for your vision for the world, for mercy, for justice, for peace. And I'm going to need, yeah, of course, I'm going to need something to eat. I'm going to need things to wear. So I trust you to look after me. But the future is yours. It doesn't mean never thinking of ourselves, but it means seeing everything in the light of the kingdom that is coming. And we wake up and we say, God, the kingdom is one day closer. I'm going to pray for it. I want to watch out for the signs of it. And I'm going to live with the king in my heart.
Now, just to illustrate that, I'd love to be able to show you a, a video clip, which is a testimony of a good friend of our family called Tom. He's just started at Lancaster University this year. But earlier, um, before the summer, he was sharing his story uh, in his church. And he talks about how he struggled with, uh, with lockdown and how his faith meant very little to him. And then something makes him change. And if we can have this clip now, then... I was so discouraged and I felt lonely. I became addicted to my phone, was stressed with GCSEs coming up next year, and was very insecure about my personal appearance, which all built up into huge anxiety about returning to school for year 11. By August 2020, I developed major symptoms for anxiety and depression. I couldn't see how God would let me feel this way. So I pushed him away in anger. The start of year 11 was the most difficult period of my life. I would go to school incredibly anxious about what people would say around me, whether I still was friends with my classmates, do school lessons which I had no interest in, and then return home where I would shut myself in my room and lay in my bed, scrolling on my phone until it was time for sleep. I felt like I had no purpose in life with every day seeming like deja vu. I hated myself and the life I was living. Incredibly self-critical, I thought I deserved the suffering. And when I felt I couldn't take any more, I would cry out to God for help. And he gave me so many people around me who showed me love and care. But despite him responding to my prayers, I would still push him away. Going into year 12, I became more interested in what the Bible said and living for God, not for myself. When I was struggling with A-levels and what I should be focusing my busy schedule on most in life, I read these words from Matthew 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Once again, nothing on this earth could compare to God, so I realized I should put him first in my life. Since then, I've had so many amazing opportunities to learn about God and grow as a Christian. I've been surrounded by so many loving Christians who have prayed and cared for me. Become a member of this loving church and be encouraged by so many adults who have all wanted me to grow into a man of God. I've seen so many reflections of God's love in this church. And for all who have helped me, I can't thank you enough. So today... I'm getting baptised as a public declaration for the thanks that I have for God, who has helped me through the loneliest of times, anxiety attacks, suicidal thoughts, and for giving me purpose in life. I'm also getting baptised as a public declaration that I will live to glory, glorify, honour, and serve my God for the rest of my life. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Such courage, such courage to tell that story. And he's right, just after Jesus gives this great announcement in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. It's that simple. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I just want to finish with asking you that question. Have you decided that? Have you decided what you are seeking first? It's the most crucial decision you can ever make. Selfie or panorama? What are you seeking, self first or the kingdom of God first? And it affects everything, your time, your money, 
your thoughts, your actions. It's not just a decision we make once, it's a daily realignment of our lives in allegiance to Jesus Christ. And maybe you've made that choice before, but you need to make it again. Also in chapter 6, Jesus gives the prayer of the kingdom, which is to be prayed daily. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And give us daily bread. It's a daily prayer. And if you want to put this into practice, you could do a lot better, or rather a lot worse, than pray this simple prayer every day, the kingdom prayer Jesus gave us. And then let God show you how to live it. That's all I want to say really at the end here. It's the most important choice you could ever make. It's the most important choice that I ever made. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's the best choice I ever made. Because you could invest your life in stocks and shares or cars and clothes. You could invest in holidays and experiences, relationships and friendships. And at the end of it, you could have missed the purpose of the whole thing, the great why that makes life worth living. Or you could invest your life in what God is doing, what God is bringing. And you will see the joy and the hope and the love of the kingdom wherever you find yourself. And you will also share that joy with God long after everything else has crumbled to the ground. This is what ultimately lifts the heaviness of worry and anxiety about the future. Jesus said once, you are worried and concerned about many things, but only one thing is needed. So God is coming, and that means the future is good. And we know this because of Jesus. He sits on that mountain, and we see his face shining with the dawning light of the kingdom of God. And he says to you and to me, seek first the kingdom of God. Why don't we take a moment to be still, and then I'll invite us to pray. we stand together and then Eve's going to come up we're going to just pray Father God we want to thank you for the glorious joyful message of the coming of your kingdom that there is hope there's always hope I pray in Jesus name if anybody is suffering under a heavy burden of the future personal or for their family or for events around the world, I pray in the name of Jesus you would lift off that burden and shine your light of hope. And I want to invite you, if you wish, to pray with me, Lord God, I want to seek your kingdom first. I want to trust you that you will give me everything I need. And each day, I want to pray, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And for those reaching out to you right now, Lord God, would you fill us 
with your spirit. Fill them with your spirit right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.